turn to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. If you uh, need a Bible tonight, um, we have plenty of copies. Just raise your hand and maybe Nick back there or Vaughn, if you need a copy of the scriptures, uh, feel free uh, to raise your hand. The book of Acts, you may have to look in your index to find it. It's kind of on the, the right-hand side. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. No, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, yeah, Acts, Romans. Okay, good, yeah. It's a little nervous up here trying to remember things, I'll tell you. <laughs> Lots of pressure. All righty, if you uh, tuned into the Facebook Live event last week, uh, what you're going to hear is going to sound familiar. Uh, Pastor Tim asked me to uh, re, uh, re-preach through some of that, uh, so we're going to take a look at it again, and I think it's, it's um, timely uh, as we're thinking about leadership in the local church. Um, you know, God has led us as a congregation to develop a a good, robust discipleship pathway. Uh, we have a culture here where, uh, Lord willing, we're, we're progressively all recognizing the responsibility that we have uh, as priest believers to encourage one another uh, to become more like Jesus Christ. And we have a, a pathway that kind of guides and directs that, but hopefully you're all growing in the conviction, as Pastor Tim has been preaching, that no, no one goes at the Christian life alone. Uh, that's, in a, that's just not Jesus' design for the church. And that we have sort of put into place here, hopefully, some structures or some, some, uh, some helps that will get you together one-on-one, uh, make uh, lifelong friendships here at Grace as you learn the Word of God together. And I, and I think we're, we're, we're gripping that, we're understanding that, and now, by God's grace, we're going to add a new layer in that whole mix. And that layer is uh, what we believe to be uh, uh, commanded to us from Paul to Timothy and 2 Timothy. And that is, is that we pass on to faithful men who can teach others also. So the idea there is, is that we think about leadership uh, within our own local church, within Grace Church of Menor. Uh, God's design is that comes from the body of Christ that currently exists here. And, and it, it is the disciplined work of godly men and women as they look uh, to those who are younger, they're looking through the lens, through, through the eyes of seeing who, in fact, God may be putting his finger on for leadership. Uh, and that's really becomes then an equally important part of Scripture. We have two people in the New Testament who are, uh, exem- who, who are exemplary uh, because they were in the right place at the right time looking for the right thing. Uh, and those, uh, that is uh, uh, Simeon and Anna, right? Uh, where were they? They were in the temple. Were they there at the right time? Yeah. And what were they looking for? Messiah. They, they were a man and a woman who knew the times. They, they knew their context. They knew exactly where they were supposed to be. And they knew exactly what they were supposed to be looking for. And we as the church have the exact same kind of opportunity. I see Bonnie's over there holding maybe a future leader. And, and, and she should be looking at uh, uh, this little one is that sort of a potential that, that God uh, wants to perpetuate 
this witness to our lost community, and he wants to do it uh, through uh, young people and young men, gals, who together uh, um, apprehend their faith here at Grace Church through the Word of God and, and take on the task of being a leader. So we're, gonna, we're, we're slowly adding in uh, a leadership pathway idea. And really the first thing is to get us to be thinking about that together. And Acts chapter 20, is a, uh, verses 17 and following, is a wonderful passage to begin to think about uh, what leadership uh, generally is supposed to look like. Um, this is a very uh, tender passage. We, we kinda, uh, this is a time where Paul has called the elders of, of Ephesus down uh, to speak with him. And it's sort of a, 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 a secret meeting, if you will. Uh, I think this is, from an apologetic standpoint, this is Luke exposing what the leaders of the local New Testament church really do when they huddle together, right? Um, uh, in, in the historic context, there were those who were arguing that when these elders gather together, they're talking about trying to subvert the empire. And they were trying to bring down Caesar. And they hated Rome. And, and what, what, Paul is, or what Luke is trying to do, as he exposes this to Theophilus, and, and, and by extension, everybody, he invites us into a very tender, tender moment where Paul and the elders from Ephesus are talking about what elders talk about. And, um, and what we find out is, my goodness, they in fact uh, are, are of no threat to the Roman Empire. <laughs> they, they, there is no interest in subversion. Uh, these men are just interested in, in shepherding uh, people unto Christ's likeness. And, and that's what elders should be doing and uh, what uh, leaders who are becoming elders are growingly becoming interested in. So we're going to take a look at this passage. Um, it's interesting, we have uh, the three words used for uh, the elder or the, 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 the leaders within the local New Testament church, and they're all used together. So we don't want to think of them as sort of uh, um, parted out uh, but we have in verse 17, we have uh, the elders of the church at Ephesus are being called. And then in verse 28 of Acts chapter 20, uh, they're called, they're, they're, they have been made overseers and they're called to shepherd. So there's the three words. That's elder, bishop, and shepherd is the idea, all three. And I know different Protestant denominations have sort of highlighted one of those words in their leadership structures. So if you're a Presbyterian, which of those three words do you highlight? It's the elder. Okay, elder. They, they like their elders. And, and if you're, I can't remember, a Congregationalist, or they like the bishops. Uh, and I don't know, nobody really grabbed shepherd. <laughs> Maybe that's the Baptist pastor, right? There you go. Uh, so... So each one of the Protestant denominations tend to highlight. Uh, what we want to make sure of is we understand that uh, those who are in leadership here, the elders, are, are uh, growing and becoming all three of those things. They're, they're elders in that sense that, that sort of witnesses to the dignity of the office um, and uh, the age and experience that should come with it. It's not necessarily chronological experience. 
per se, but it's experience within the, the rank and file of the church and knowing and understanding and applying the Word of God in a disciplined way and trying to really do that. Bishop is, is an overseer uh, that has sort of that administrative function. Uh, we know that God desires things to be done decently and in order. That's certainly an aspect of this, this bishoping, this overseeing, as well as uh, the, the spiritual growth and maturity of people. Uh, and then shepherding. Shepherding is probably the most tender of the three words, and it has that, uh, it's, a, it's an intentional metaphor of, 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 of a shepherd, you know, literally with his hands, feeling over his sheep. Now, that's probably not a good thing to say in this day and age. I apologize for that. What I mean is it's a very tender, singular, individual interest. And, and that's what it, it's, it's, it's so, so it goes from sort of corporation to the individual. And that's what the shepherds and the pastors known for. Have you ever wondered why God in his infinite wisdom called to lead the church pastor teachers rather than just the New Testament teacher? I've always wondered that. I mean, when you flip on the radio or you go to your Bible college or you go to seminary, who are you listening to typically? It's the New Testament. And boy, can they... They can teach. I keep, I don't know what's going on. Spitting in that. They can teach. And boy, they are articulate. And boy, they can really, you, you hear things that just leap off the page and you're enamored. And, and these people are amazing because they can teach. And they are. We have some New Testament teachers in our midst here that are primarily teacher. But God in his wisdom didn't ask the New Testament teacher to be the leader of the local church. To me, that, that's interesting. Uh, it's the guy who has the interest in kind of dealing with the manure of the sheep. It's the guy who, who has some of that teaching with, uh, a part of his gift set, for sure, but, but a large part of his gift set is, man, he just wants people to progress. So, so when, he, when he looks at his Bible, he sees names and faces. The New Testament teacher sees doctrine and, and logical correlations. But the pastor teacher sees people. And, and, he, and, and the approach to leadership is completely different. Um, so, so what we're looking at tonight is we're looking at the elder. We're looking at that, that uh, titled leadership position in the local church that... God has called to be at uh, the tip of the spear, uh, the head of the work that God's doing here at Grace Church of Mentor or at any other local church. And we really see from this passage of Scripture four qualities of leadership that are, that are important that Paul highlights. We're not going to take the time to read every single verse here, 17 through uh, 38, um, we would, I would encourage you to do that, but we're going to just make some comments. Um, have you ever heard of this slogan, the few, the proud, the Marines? Have you ever heard that? I think we probably all are familiar with that. Uh, that slogan uh, has a purpose, and that slogan is to, it, it, it venerates, it motivates to action, it recruits, like few other slogans do. 
Uh, it's the verbiage of a brotherhood that shapes identity for the rest of the lives of those so privileged to be a part, so privileged to make it through. This commission to the service of our country is a noble and a time-honored one. You know, there is a heavenly commission that far outshines any earthly temporal commission. Perhaps a Holy Spirit-authored slogan to venerate and motivate leadership in the church of the living God could be derived from our passage tonight. And uh, unless you are wondering, I'm going to offer one. So here's the slogan, hopefully to venerate and motivate and recruit leadership. The courageous, the compelled, the guardians of the church of the living God, the pillar in support of the truth. Uh, this is what the church needs. It needs men who are courageous, who are compelled, who are the guardians of the church of the living God, the pillar in support of the truth. Can there be any other higher calling? I think not. I don't think the word of God believes there is any higher calling, any nobler task. There is not any nobler task, unless you think that there may very well be. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13. Here are some words... Um, that the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives us in relationship to the deacon that no other person in the local church enjoys. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13. Uh, you probably see a heading, maybe above verse 8 in your Bible, qualifications of deacons, Right? And then verse 13, for those who have served well as deacons, they obtain something that unless you're a deacon, you're, you're not going to attain it, at least at the de this kind of level. They obtain something. They obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So here's the flow of the whole New Testament. The flow of the whole church age is, is we, we don't broker an eternal security, remember? That's between you and God. I don't broker as a pastor, or the Word of God just kind of leaves that between you and God. They don't, I don't buy and sell in the questions of eternal security. However, the whole New Testament buys and sells or brokers in the question of assurance. Not so much the question, you know, do I love Jesus, but the question that, that robustly fills the heart of the believer is, does Jesus know me? Am I apprehending faith not on my terms, but on his terms? This question of assurance is huge because the greatest enemy you will face is the enemy of death. You will one day die, and I'm sorry to say, I don't mean to be a, a pastor downer here, but unless Jesus comes and you're born again and you're raptured, you will die. You will face death. And those of us who have sat by the beds of people who are dying, that's a very difficult place to be. Uh, it's a very, it can be a very lonely place. For those of you who know what that's like when you're spending nights upon nights in the hospital all by yourself. And, and uh, it's a lonely place. Uh, thankfully, we have the 23rd Psalm. We have a good shepherd who walks with us, but we want to be confident that we, in fact, 
have the good shepherd. So what a deacon enjoys is a high standing in the question of serving in the church. That's a good thing. Uh, that's not an arrogant thing. It's just a simple fact. Well, what, is, what has caused the high standing? Well, if, it, if, if deacons have been chosen correctly, there has been something about the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in their life that, have made, that has made them incredibly attractive to God's people. They are filled with the wisdom of the Spirit of God. And they walk in the Spirit. And this is so attractive. And when it comes to people wanting somebody on their team, they want that guy on their team. They want that guy to be their leader. And the deacon himself in his dark hour of doubt, what does he have? He has something that non-deacons do not. He can at least say, hey, as filled with doubt as I am right now, one joy that I have is there was a time in my life where I was walking in the Spirit in such a way that it was identifiable by God's people and they asked me to be their leader. So in this valley of despair and doubt, God, whatever was going on there, I praise you and I, and I long for that to continue in my life. See, see that's, that's a, a beautiful thing. You know, that's something you want. Boys, that's something you want. You want that. You want that. You should aspire to that. You should long for that. And really, as we understand the, the, the qualifications of deacons and elders, they're simply really the human expressions of what, the practical outworking of Christ's likeness. That's what they are. So if you're a, a deacon, you enjoy a high standing. You obtain for yourself a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So deacons embrace that. As hard as the deacon role is, it's, it's, you got something, and, 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 and it's precious. It should be precious to you. You should long to, to, to be the kind of deacon that God wants you to be, to perpetuate this reality. How about, uh, how about, uh, how about elders? Well, 1 Timothy 5, right across the page there, 1 Timothy 5. Verse 17, so here's what I enjoy as an elder, and Harry enjoys, and Larry to my right here, and I don't see necessarily, and I know Mike was in here a minute ago, Pastor Steve, I don't know if Nick, Nick Master Petro's in here, or Bob Gray, there I see Rhonda pointing somewhere, okay, there are others in here, that's good, um, or somewhere in the building. So what do elders enjoy? Well, let elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. Now, this obviously uh, probably has something to do with monetary um, or some remuneration, and that's fine. But it all, it, the fact of it is, is it's double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Um, so there, 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 is a, there is an honoring of, of the elder. Um, and, and, and in verse 19, it, it really sort of explains a little bit more about what it's talking about. Not only is it a financial remuneration, but, but in the Matthew 18 process, 
See verse number 19 there? There's something a little different that's true about an elder. If you, this is a heightened Matthew 18 process. In other words, God has, has, understands that you know, the elder is out there working hard, hopefully, uh, all things being equal, and the, the, the tendency is, to, is for people to take small little snapshots of his life and to grow offended, and the potential of uh, gossip is very real, and, and accusation um, for, the, for, the, for the member of the church. Those accusations, obviously, you try to handle them one-on-one -on -one first, right? We know that. Shake your head, right? That's Matthew 18. But there is no one-on-one -on -one for the elder. For the elder, what does it say? Two or three. So, so when there's this accusation, when there is this offense per se, maybe you could make a little, well, there's a difference between accusation and offense. That very well may be. Uh, but as one of the guardians of the local New Testament church, um, <clears throat> it's, it, from, from my understanding, it, it's not. And uh, so if, if we're going to be offended, if we're, gonna, if we're going to have an accusation, there's just something of protection that God has put into Scripture uh, that has to do with the honor that says, no, you're going to need to take two or three witnesses. Or two, you're going to need to either get somebody just to establish, not necessarily an eyewitness per se, but somebody who can witness the conversation uh, and make sure that things are done in appropriate God-honoring way. So, so there's honor. There's honor in, in remuneration. There's honor in, in, in even handling the continued spiritual growth and development of an elder. So I, I just I unpack those passages to help us understand that, you know, we, we don't want to be more pious than Jesus or than the Word of God longs for us. Because I think in, in sort of this, this ultra-humility and servitude, and, and that's important, we're going to see that in our passage, that there is sort of a degrading of the idea of being an elder and deacon. It, it, it just serves, and it's kind of there, and, but, and, and, it, and it does serve, and it is there, and that's important. But what God's Word tells us is there is something that is very attractive, and I don't know as we really get that. I think when, some, when we come to somebody and say, hey, you've been nominated as a deacon, what do they do? <laughs> and I get that. And, you know, we want you to be an elder. <laughs> you know, and, I, and I understand that. It, it, there, there's a lot that comes with it. But I want to instill into your heart that there is an attractive angle aspect of leadership in the local New Testament church. And it's okay to aspire to it. So yes, go be a doctor, go be whatever you're going to be, but, but man, when it comes to your faith, aspire to being the leader, to being the, 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 the servant of servants. And, 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 I wanna, and I hope that in, in whatever vein God has you working out your, 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 your secular career, that's wonderful, but I would assume that even in your secular career, the goal is to, for lack of a better word, get to the top. Nobody kind of, maybe there are those who are content not to really get into that, and I appreciate that, and they just want to be faithful, and that's good. But uh, there is a bit of uh, ambition that's healthy and good and right. And, uh, so what are the four qualities then of the leaders 
of the local New Testament church from Acts chapter 20. The first thing we see from Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 17, is that leaders are accessible. Uh, uh, Paul calls the elders down, and he's, he's simply uh, exposing to him his life, using it as an example to help teach them how to be a good elder. And he says <clears throat> there in verse number 18, he says, and, uh, you yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time. And the NASB does a great job uh, translating this, how I was with you. It's not so much uh, that I spent time with you. That's not the idea here. It's as I spent time with you, you, you observed how I functioned. That's the idea. It's more of a you observed my life because we were there shoulder to shoulder and, and, and how I went about doing things. What I said, what I didn't say, what, what, what throttled me and what didn't throttle me, you observed all of that. And all of that was, was, was hopefully spirit-driven in my life, Paul's saying. And you've got, a, you've got an elder the same way. You've got, a, you've got people need to understand how you are going about the process of your elding. They need to know you. You're accessible. They're transparent in that accessibility. You yourselves know how I was with you. You yourselves, our text says. Uh, he says here later on, uh, he's, he, the whole time that he's there with him, and probably about a three-year stretch of time in Ephesus, so there's no sort of two to one month, two, to, two week to one month, three, two month, three month, stay like Thessalonica. This was Ephesus. This was a town extremely significant when it came to the amount of time uh, the Apostle Paul spent there. Uh, and and uh, so he was accessible. He was transparent in that accessibility. He was consistent in that accessibility. That's what leaders ought to be. They ought to be predictable to some level. There's nothing more unsettling in a local New Testament church than a leader who is always unpredictable. Uh, Paul says, no, I, 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 it, the whole time you saw how I was with you. There's a consistency there. And, and he says here, um, verse 19, I was serving the Lord. I, I wasn't, uh, yes, there was a, an application of my service to the Lord for you, but my, my uh, allegiance, my final allegiance was to the Lord. Uh, my goal was not to scratch your itching ears. It was not to tell you what you wanted to hear. My service was to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the head of the church. And, and for us, what that means as elders, it's the Word of God. And, and our task is to serve the Lord by helping you to understand and to shepherd you with the truth claims of Scripture in contrast to what you may feel, how you may think, or what you may want to do. Okay? We, 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 we wish we could just send you all on those ways. But we can't. We serve the Lord. That's what elders do. Uh, and, and the beauty of that is, is it's revealed truth. The nice thing is, you know, you, it's not like you have to go get a PhD and sort of contribute some sort of a crucial component of data to the body of truth. You know, you just go and you learn, you know, the, the authentic truth, and you learn it well. 
And that's the joy of it, is it, 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 it has a beginning and an end, and it's revelation. So, so you, just, you just can focus on it, and, and that's a great blessing. So they serve the Lord uh, within their accessibility. And, and we're told here that uh, he does it humbly, serving the Lord with all humility. So they're accessible, and really I think this is the keynote of that accessibility. It's their humility. It says all humility, all humility. Um, Verse number nine, that's the goal. This is, this is really, um, oh, oh, humility serves the church in so many ways. Uh, it serves the church when it comes to the question of trying to um, ascertain uh, uh, if, you know, our goal is to have a pure church, to make sure that people who come into the church as members know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior and their Lord. And, and one of the marks of being truly born again is humility. I mean, it's anybody who spends but a moment at the cross. If humility isn't the primary overwhelming sense, you have completely missed the significance of the cross. I mean, this is like 101. So if you're somebody who still kind of walks around arrogantly, walks around sort of with a chip on your shoulder, walks around without, what do we say on the back of our disciple-making pamphlet? A learner, lover, and worshiper. That's the nature of true saving faith. And if you're going to be a learner, you have to be what? Humble. And the cross will do nothing, nothing for you if it doesn't make you humble. Right? So there you go. So humility. So it helps us keep the church pure. Now it, it helps us to identify uh, 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 leadership. All humility. So, so as, as you're a young man and you're aspiring to leadership within the local New Testament church, and you know, you know this, that, that God is going to humble you. He is going to he is about the process of, of pressing the cross more consistently into your thinking, your acting, and your feeling. And that's what he's going to do. And so, so we see humility serves the church uh, as she tries to identify her leadership. They need to be men who are humble, men who are approachable, men who are accessible. All humility. Uh, it says here uh, that accessibility um, creates an empathy. He, he says here that, that uh, in, in tears, uh, uh, they ministered together. Um, uh, uh, verse 19, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears. Uh, it's very empathetic. Um, you cannot be empathetic with people who you are not with. If there's sort of this elitist feel uh, you will not have leadership that is empathetic. Uh, no leadership needs to be known by the people and how we are with you. And when that's happening, there is a great empathy. And then enduringly, Paul says he did this through many trials. In other words, they endure. They don't, you know, leadership is not here today, gone tomorrow. Leadership isn't involved in a relationship today and then kisses it off tomorrow. No, thank you, you know. I'm just walking away. No, leadership, budding leadership doesn't have that, doesn't have that option. It, it either does one of two things. It either covers something in love 
and continues, or it goes through the Matthew 18 process. There just is not the option of just sort of, you know, well, covering love, isn't that sort of, no, covering his love is becoming more proactively engaged and involved in serving. It's not stepping back and sort of, well, they'll just, they, you know, just as long as they're on that side of the church, we're okay. No, no, that's not covering anything in love. That's self-centeredness. And that's something other than what, what God has commanded us. So he's accessible. He's accessible. Number two, uh, leadership is courageous. It's courageous. Uh, verse 20 says, how did I not shrink back? how I did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house. Again, he says in verse 27, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. So not only were the leaders of the church accessible, but they're courageous. They're courageous. They're courageous in their declaration. Uh, uh, they, they declared, uh, they didn't shrink back from anything that was profitable. Well, what defines profitable? Well, uh, again, we look at that uh, verse 27, the things that are in concert with the whole purpose of God for your life. That's what we declared. That's what we proclaimed. That's what we were working with you in the nitty-gritty as we sat down and as we think about the feeling and the emotion and, 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 and uh, the, the, the anger and the rage and, and, and settling that in a profitable way and being instructed from the Word of God on how to begin to discipline yourself unto godliness. So anything that was profitable, they declared. Uh, they were courageous in that. Um, they were able to talk about anything. Uh, in, in their method, they taught publicly and house to house. They were comfortable in any, either, either situation. They, they, they could sit down and have a cup of coffee with somebody just as easily as they could be standing up here teaching publicly and defending in an apologetic way. Uh, this is what leadership does. They, they have, God has so developed in them the love for their people and, and people uh, that, that this is who they are. And they're, they're willing to take God's word to the, to the coffee house or behind the pulpit. And publicly, if necessary. Um, so they do that. Uh, uh, in, their, in their declaration, their method, in their message, uh, they're impartial. Uh, we're told here in the text that uh, Paul testified to both Jews and Greeks. It just really doesn't matter. The truth is the truth, and everybody needs it. Uh, they do that. It's unambiguous. He says uh, his message was um, uh, in, in verse, let's see, 20 here. From house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks, verse 21, of what? Of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. It's unambiguous. It wasn't sort of this secret message uh, that, that, you know, you know, that only the few privileged could enjoy. No, it was, it was unambiguous. It was clear. You need to repent. You need to change your mind about who God is, about who you are in your sin before a holy God, and, and you need to change your mind about who Jesus is. And you need to put your faith in him alone. We, we, we say not only what the truth is, but we also say what it's not. Because we want to be unambiguous. We want to be clear. And we, 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 we declare, we insist, we exhort people 
to come underneath the authority of the Word of God. Um, so it's impartial and ambiguous. So leaders are courageous. They're accessible. They're courageous. And thirdly, leaders are compelled by the Spirit. Verse 22, um, Paul says this, And now, behold, bound in the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. So, so we have this Holy Spirit interaction. Uh, verse 23, Except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions uh, await me. Um, so, obviously, we step out a little bit now uh, from, uh, this is apostolic, this is direct revelation that Paul enjoyed from the Holy Spirit, but by analogy, the elders are bound equally by revelation from the Spirit of God, and that is the Word of God. We are bound by that. We are compelled by the truth of the Word of God. That's our compelling. That's why, and that, dear church, is what you ought to love in the young men that you are seeking out to be your leaders. That ought to be what's impressive about a, a young teenager when it's the Word of God that, that he's bound to by the Spirit in that sense. He may not be able to articulate all of that, but, but we can tell that there's a working of God as his conscience is held captive by the Word of God, maybe in ways that other teenagers don't necessarily get yet or have yet or whatever. So, so this, is, this is what we should value and appreciate. Somebody who is bound by the Word of God. We shouldn't value and appreciate people who kind of slip away from it, you know, and are kind of a little greasy. Uh, no, that's what, what we are. <laughs> that's what we naturally do. And, but, oh, oh, may God give us men who, who love being bound in the Spirit, bound by the Word of God bound by the author of Scripture to seek to obey it and to progressively grow underneath its tutelage. May that be what we value. May that be we go up to our young men and say, boy, this is something that is just, I'm just praising the Lord for in your life, young man. This is a wonderful, wonderful truth. So they're compelled by the Spirit. In Paul's case, the Spirit defined his plans. He was on his way to Jerusalem. Uh, it defined his reality of life. Uh, the Spirit did that. You are going to have bonds and afflictions. This is the reality of your life. Um, he defined Paul's self-concept. Um, you see there in the next, uh, he says, but I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself. Uh, that idea, dear to myself, I think I explained uh, the uh, is the idea of uh, when, I'm, when I'm called of God as an elder, or I'm called of God and I'm bound by the Spirit, the idea here is not that uh, my life, I have poor self-esteem. or the, the idea here in, in Greek is my life is not worthy of any more words. That, that's the, the Greek here. So the idea here is, you know, to sit around and, and, and talk about my significance, or woe is me, or reflecting, self-reflection on my life. The Spirit of God and the calling of God, just sort of, that kind of stuff just isn't germane anymore. Can I just put it that way? It, it just, it, it's not, uh, it's not 
really the purview of elders, of leadership in the church, to kind of sit around, you know, objectifying themselves, wondering about how words about concerning themselves. No, I am called of God. I'm called of God to this task. This is simply who I am and what I do, and here we go. That's the point. Uh, just, it's not worthy of any more words, Paul says. We're not going to sit around here and talk about if it's a good idea to go to Jerusalem or not. Where did you come going? You know, and I know it's going to be hard, and that's okay. Well, we'll pray about it, and we'll weep together here at the end of this passage because it is, there are things we weep over in relationship to that. Goals, he says, he define, uh, the Spirit defines his goals. Uh, finish my course, finish my ministry. We see that uh, in this passage as we look down a little further. So leadership is compelled by the Spirit, I would argue by analogy, in the plans we have for ministry. We, we look to the Word of God as elders and we try to understand what is God's Word desire for this church. We're compelled by the Spirit to define the reality of my life, of our life, together as, an, as, as, a, as a corporate uh, individual elder, as a corporate body of elders, and as the church in the situation that God has put us in. The reality here in the church, our identity, our self-concept, the Spirit of God, I no longer think about myself or, or try to discipline not to think about my self-concept as an elder. The Spirit has defined it. It's done this is who I am, this is what we do, and here we go. And my goals, my goals, and the goals for our church. It's the spirit that we're compelled by, the spirit of God working through the word of God. Um, so compelled, courageous, accessible, and finally tonight, the leaders are guardians of the church. And this is verse 28. It says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. So there's this sort of uh, this, this two-path guardianship that's required. Elders corporately together, they're watching out for themselves. They realize that, that this, the, the truth that, that, um, that there are wolves, if wolves can get into the highest tier of leadership, that is problematic. It's really what's being guarded here, guarding yourselves and in, in, in these being uh, uh, compelled, uh, courageous, accessible, keeping each other accountable there, but also in our doctrine, uh, being submitted to the message that we're sharing with others uh, together. So, so we're guarding ourselves, but we're also guarding here uh, the, the, uh, uh, all the flock, all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseer and shepherd. So the leaders are guardians of the local church. Their calling is divine. It's divine. I, I think of that. I look at that in the mirror and I say, you called me, God. I, you know, it, divine. Nobody talks like that today, hardly. What does that divine calling look like? Well, it's a, usually a three-legged stool. It has to do with a, a, a desire, an epithumia, we're told. A strong desire in a man and a young boy and a... And a young man, as he's growing, then it's being working out his salvation in the context of a local New Testament church and people seeing what's going on in his life. And this is a gifting. This is a specialist. So we don't expect everybody to have this. Okay? That's not what we're, we're, we're making all of our young boys and folks, we're not pressing them into these molds. We're, we're observing what the Holy Spirit's doing is 
cream, if you will, is rising in the hearts and lives of these little fellows. And we're identifying that and we're saying, wow, wow, the Spirit of God is doing something here. This is exciting. And we can do that in all the gifting. But one of those is pastor-teacher. God has called that one to be the, to be the leader. So it's divine. It, 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 it's a desire. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's the church coming along and, and seeing that. And, and it's really, a, a, if, if the primary commitment of the elder is to the revelation, is, is to guard with the Word of God, it's a call to prepare. It's a call to understand this book unlike no one else in the congregation as you are growing in your shepherding skills within the context of a local church. You know, uh, uh, preparation for ministry outside the context of a local church is risky business at best. It is, it is most profitably done right here, right here, right here, in oversight of God's people and faithful men who are in leadership seeking to pass that on. That is the absolute ideal. We've lost the ideal over time. You know, we've... We have pressed the responsibility of ministry preparation and development to seminaries, and, and seminaries certainly can be helpful, but they're not the tip of the spear. They're not the ones who are responsible for leadership development. It's us. It's you. It's having a culture of expectation here that God's going to do this. You know, we, this, is, this is us, all of us, walking around, looking at our children and our young people, and either, even our older men as as maybe missions or even becoming pastors or even deacons and elders as we're talking about. This is one of the things we're doing as we come. We're seeing the Holy Spirit evidences uh, and we're looking for them and we're encouraging it. So it's divine. Uh, the elders' trust is a sacred one. Uh, we're told here that uh, this is uh, truth is purchased with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is... Um, this is the trust that we have. Um, overseers to shepherd, verse 28, the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Now, these, these words fall on the conscience of an elder like no other words do. This is what captivates us. This is what um, motivates us, hopefully, uh, to do right and to guide and direct right. Uh, and, and, and when the discussions are difficult uh, with our sheep, individual sheep, uh, it's the precious blood of Jesus Christ who purchased this sheep, who purchased me, that presses upon my conscience to prayerfully, progressively press our sheep in my own life into conformity to the word of God because it's the precious blood of Jesus who has purchased us. He is the one to whom we are beholden, and, uh, and that will be true for all eternity. So we better get used to living like that right now, because I guarantee it in heaven, uh, that's how it just is. And uh, so that's what elders are trying to do. They have the, the enemy, the enemy for the guardians, uh, their calling is divine, the guardians' trust is sacred. Uh, the enemy is savage. The enemy is savage. Um, uh, we see that there. Uh, I'd know that after my departure, savage wolves. This is how the Holy Spirit describes those who would come in to try to upset the flock of God. They're savage wolves. There is no other description that's appropriate for them. 
And boy, we don't, you know, in this day and age, we, boy, ah, you know, hey, easy, chill. <laughs> you know, well, you know, for the elder, you know, that's savage wolves, man. You know, you don't, and, and, and look what these savage wolves are. Um, they don't spare the flock. So when it comes to eternal truth, eternal values, and they're confusing those, and they're, and they're adding to, or they're subtracting from, or they're, or they're taking the, the natural peace that should exist within the local church, and they're, they're, they're upsetting it, and they're, they're, they're pressing things out of order, and they're not living by the truth of the Word of God, and there's confusion, there's growing confusion and growing uh, uh, anxiety within the local church. Something has to be done. There's a savage wolf that's roaming around, and, 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 and we've got to find that. But they don't, these wolves, they don't spare the flock. They have no interest. Man, woman, or child, they could care less who gets confused. They could care less who feels anxious. They could care less. They want their following. And that's all that matters to them. Shepherds hate that. Now you sit down and be quiet. Because the shepherds love peace. Jesus loves peace. And you will not have a following. See, that's the shepherd role. That's amazing. That's what shepherds get all... Well, you know, King James, Nasby, Arminianism, Calvinism. Now, shepherds don't necessarily go like that about that stuff. They, they good men differ. We're, you know, they're they're just they get it. There's important things there. Those are the New Testament teachers. We let them get about that stuff. <laughs> shepherds, shepherds. Peace in the flock. They want green pastures, still waters, good places to graze, and happy sheep. That's what they want. Wolves are, 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 are savage wolves. They, they don't spare the flock. And the Bible says that they're from our own selves, and that, that's a great warning here. These typically aren't people who are coming from the outside. They're in our midst. And, and as we grow, we find... Uh, out, uh, and, and sometimes when we are being carnal, we can be wolf-like, and, and the shepherds are there to help settle that situation out and continue to encourage growth and grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But, but uh, they're from their own selves. I, the church is replete with examples. Joseph Smith, founder of the Mormons, his dad was a Presbyterian minister. Mary Baker Eddy, founder of the Christian Science, uh, she was born, her parents were good congregationalist parents when the congregational church was good and still preached the gospel. Charles Taz Russell, founder of the Jehovah's Witnesses, his whole family were members of a Presbyterian church. So it's always brewing and bubbling, potentially, in here. The confidence of the elders, the grace of God, that's our only hope. It's purchased with his own. Um, uh, savage wolves will come among you. They're going to come out from yourselves, uh, verse 30, to draw away the disciples after them. That's the key of a savage wolf. They want to have a following. They want to, to say something to somebody, and they go, oh, yeah, you're right. 
Oh, yeah, I like you. Oh, yeah, let's go have coffee. I like you. That's what they want. That's what wolves love. Wolves don't just give data for data's sake or growth's sake. They, they, want, they want something. Anyway, I'll get off the wolf thing. <laughs> um, um, so the verse 32, Now I commend you uh, to God and to the word of his grace. This was Paul's hope. This is what he commended these elders to, the word of his grace, the word of God, uh, specifically the word of grace found in the gospel, which is able to build you up. It, it, it's, the, it's God's word. It's the grace of God that is able to build up. And it's able to give an inheritance. Uh, that's the, this is the blessed hope for the elder is, is that his, his, his remuneration is not on this earth. It's not here. He, his, his, his affections and emotions, he's disciplining himself to act not in a manner in concert with temporal uh, 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 remuneration, but, but with eternal remuneration. That's his hope. Uh, and their conduct is above reproach. Uh, Paul tells us them, you need to be free from covetousness, provide for your own, provide for your own in such a way that you can actually give some away, he tells them. It all kind of runs full circle back into that uh, accessibility. So tonight, uh, guardians, compelled, by the Spirit, courageous and accessible. Um, so what about you, young man? Potential deacon and elder man. Are you willing to be one of the courageous, the compelled, the guardians of the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth? Wow. God can do that in you. I hope our young men and, and all of us as men, we aspire to that. I think, you know, in terms of application for all of us as a church body, whether we're male or female, is, is these ought to be the values that begin to course through who we are. And, and, you know, even when it came to, and I don't know if they're in here, and I hope they're not listening, if they are, Seth in here, uh, maybe not, he's hopefully with the life app, but, but when it came to, you know, Dad, who should I marry for Nathan and Luke and Seth? Or, you know, well, we had, we had four criteria. Number one, they have to be born again. Number two, they have to have a, uh, three criteria. See, it's only three. <laughs> Not bad. <laughs> Number two, they have to demonstrate that they have a meaningful relationship with Jesus Christ. And I gave them an example. When I sat next to Gloria for the first time, I looked over and sitting, sitting on her lap was a Bible. And in that lap, on that, in that Bible, it was all marked up with notes. You know, and my boy would say, well, what if she borrowed one from a roommate, huh? <laughs> you know, all this kind of stuff. That was a caveat. Well, well, all right. Well, she proved out that she had a meaningful relationship with the Word of God, okay? And then the third thing was, boys, they've got to be lovers of the local church. I mean, when I die... The only thing you need, Luke, Nathan, and Seth, the only thing you need is a Bible-preaching church. That's all you need with godly leadership. That's all you've got to have. That's it. You don't need my influence. You don't. Your kids don't need a grandpa. Your kids need godly, gifted 
people in a local New Testament church. And if, you have, if, you're, if you're dating an individual who's just kind of willy-nilly on that point, who's kind of maverick and coming and going and has no interest in the very fiber of what the Spirit of God's doing, then you should probably just wait a while. That person's not for you. They haven't quite got their whole identity. Like, why am I born in the church? They still haven't quite got that. So even as you date, even as you look for people, you, 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 and even our gals should, should be, have, have identified with local church. I've spoken far too long. You've got it, I think. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for the church. We thank you for our leadership. We thank you for the great, the great motto. Uh, Lord, may you instill and infuse into the hearts of our men epithumia, a desire to be, to be the courageous, the compelled, the guardians of the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. May that ring and give direction uh, to a large part of the hearts and lives of our men and our young boys and even our gals as they try to understand uh, what is valuable What are the traits that are desirable? So, Lord, help us, we pray. Uh, We need your help. Uh, We we live in an era, the last days, and and there's nothing out there that's that's helping us along the way. Even our own sin nature constantly hounds us. And, Lord, in our midst, there's potentially savage wolves. We pray for the elders. Uh, Lord, that you would help these men to be uh, elders, bishops, yes, and shepherds, yes, and give them wisdom. Be with our deacons, encourage them that they have a great inducement to assurance of faith and a high standing. May they grip more firmly upon their tasks of helping the elders to oversee the flock and to to, to identify future leadership and to execute their service uh, with with perhaps a a new uh, infused life from Acts chapter 20. We thank you for it. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.